this episode of Talking Theology Along the Way. I'm Dustin Coleman. I'm John Candler. I'm Jonathan Woodyard. And our aim is to help real-life people think theologically through real-life problems for God's glory and our everlasting joy. On this podcast, we wanted to give you guys, our listeners, a little bit of background into ourselves, what has shaped us. So we're going to be talking about people and books specifically that have influenced us and made us who we are today. A couple of reasons why we want to do that. Number one, we want you to know where we're coming from, who are our theological forefathers, people who have shaped us, poured into us. It's it's always helpful if you're listening to someone's opinion on something to know where they're coming from and who they're reading. But secondly, we also want to highlight the importance of relationships in the Christian life. We want to highlight the importance of leaning into and joining and covenanting with local churches so that you can be poured into and so that you can also lean into the life of other people. We were just talking about one of the reasons why we're even doing this podcast is the influence that we've all had on each other. You can't tell the story of Dustin Coleman without including a chapter on John Cameron. Dustin Coleman's book is incomplete without a chapter on Jonathan Woodyard. Yeah, we're talking about Dustin. We ran into a former pastor of all of ours. We all met in college ministry in Lexington, Kentucky, and we ran into Bill Hennard and Tim Turner, two pastors that invested in us at that church and had a significant impact on us. So we're all a product, some way, shape, or form, of the people who have invested their lives in us. Yeah, so leaning in the church's relationships living a faithful life in covenant with a local church, lives are intersecting, you're being poured into, hopefully you're leaning into and pouring into other people. And then that shapes who we become in the future, who then we then influence later later on down the road. So we just wanted to give you all an insight into who we were and what were the things that influenced us. So John, I'm going to start with you. Who are What are the books, who are the people without which we can't tell the story of your life? Yeah, so I think we would all three attest that books have all played an important role uh, in our life, in our formation as uh, as Christians. For me, though, there's no doubt about it that personal relationships with people in the context of the local church have been far more influential and far more significant uh, in in my life than than books have been. Books have always been helpful. Uh, just not quite as significant in my development. So I, I think I think of a handful uh, of people off the top of my head. One is Dr. Bill Hennard. Y- y'all, y'all mentioned him. When I first became a Christian, I was a sophomore uh, in college. Uh, I had just come to the University of Kentucky. Exactly. That's right. And uh, and I was looking for a church a place to get connected, because when I came to the University of Kentucky, uh, I didn't know anybody there on campus. Nobody that, that I recall from my graduating class in high school came to UK. So I'm looking for community, and uh, I ran into someone at the, at, the, at the Baptist campus ministry, and he pointed me to a church 20 minutes away from campus and said, hey, you should go check out that church. So on a Sunday morning, uh, I, I go, and uh in the worship service, Dr. Hennard opens up the Bible. And, and I think, I could be wrong here, it's, it's been about 15 years or so uh, 
but uh, I think he was preaching through First Peter at the time. And uh, he opens up the Bible, and I'm just blown away because he's doing this thing called expositional preaching, and the Bible is just coming alive. And I'm, I'm, Before you go further, you just used a word or phrase, expositional preaching is what Dr. Hennard was doing. Just like, what, what is that? Uh, maybe some people that are listening to us talk, we run past some of these words and phrases we use. Just real quickly, succinctly. What do you mean by expositional preaching? What was he doing? Yeah, so he was he was taking the Bible and explaining it in its in its context, using the words and the in the culture uh, and the, the the language of the Bible itself. Yeah. And so uh, I had never heard the Bible in this way, where uh, arguments were being traced and and being explained, and then not only being explained uh, but also uh, being being applied to where I could see how my life fit into the the biblical storyline before. And all of a sudden the the Bible comes alive and uh, I'm a naturally uh, inquisitive person. Anyways, I think back in college, you guys nicknamed me Curious Curious Taylor because after every Every Sunday night, here goes, where's John? He's up in the front talking to Pastor Bill. Yeah. yeah, (laughs) Asking him something. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just soaking it up. And, And week after week, he is faithfully, preaching the Bible. And it, it is because of him that I have a, a love for the Bible and, and a greater love for God who, who we, we yeah. know through yeah. the Bible. Yeah, I think we'll see a big theme here running through all of our lives, probably in some of the people or books you're going to mention. Uh, preaching has been significantly influential in our life. Mm-hmm. Listening to preachers, listening to people unpack the Bible. Uh, particularly, as you mentioned, John, expositional preaching has been massively uh, important to each of our stories. Yeah. yeah. So Pastor Bill, he's not he's not reading a passage that says the word fellowship, and then here's seven things on good church fellowship. He's looking at a paragraph of the Bible, Yeah. and every significant point he's making is tied specifically to something that Paul or Matthew or the author of Judges is saying. Yeah. That's what we mean by yeah. expositional preaching. Yeah. We're not just yeah. taking a word in a text as a as an yeah. offshoot into what I want to talk about, and here's some practical wisdom on that topic. The, You're yeah. tracing an argument. The, the point of the text was the point of the sermon. That's right. And Maybe applied to a specific situation, but sure. But the main yeah. point the author was driving at—that's the main point of your sermon—and then you're trying to bridge the gap between the ancient text and the modern world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So good. Yeah. So, so Dr. Hennard, tremendously uh, influential um, in my life. Another gentleman is Larry Cranfield, mm-hmm. uh, and Larry was the missions pastor there at Portal Memorial Baptist Church. These same years, um, my, my college years. And uh, Larry was was in many ways a mentor to me when I, when I was in college, uh, particularly in the area uh, area of missions. He was the guy who was constantly speaking into our life, talking about uh, the lostness, the, the 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 fact that there are billions of people on in the world who are uh, dying and who are going to hell apart from faith in Christ. And he was constantly spurring me, spurring us on uh, to be faithful Christians uh, who who obey the command of Jesus mm-hmm. to go to the nations uh, and to, to make disciples and, and to, to baptize them and to 
teach them all that, that Christ has has commanded us. And so my college years were years spent traveling around the world with Larry Cranfield because you know he comes up to me and uh, at, at the time I had found out about this this pastor. Uh, I think his name was John Piper. Uh, yeah. and, <laughs> we may talk uh, and about him in a bit. We 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 might. And he he's done this uh, this sermon. I think it was called "Doing Missions When Dying Is Gain." And Larry was the guy that kind of picked up on that and was was challenging me with those things. And so there is a great love for for missions, uh, evangelism, uh, doing hard things for the sake of the gospel to get the good news to to all peoples of all of all tribes. And so Larry was was very influential in my life in that way. Larry was also the guy. Who introduced me to my wife? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so uh, our oldest son is James. His middle name is Larry, named after Larry Cranfield. I think Larry probably all of us traveled the world with Larry. Man, Larry loved people, and yeah. Jane, Jane, his wife too. I mean, missions. He was he was always wanting us to go. But when I think about Larry, I just think about how deeply he loved us, wanted people in his home. Yeah. He just loved people. Yeah, and we say he loved people. Past tense. Uh, Larry passed away. How many years ago now? Seven, Something six or like seven. That. Yeah, just, seven just after I got passed married. Away, yeah. yeah, passed away. And, uh, but all of us traveled the world with him. Uh, as you bring up Larry, I think of Gina and I. Uh, we were just dating, and Larry took us to uh, Indonesia or Malaysia. We went to Malaysia with him, and we kept getting in trouble because we were holding hands. <laughs> <laughs> but he's he's the guy that uh, yeah just opened up the the world. Larry was not a, a strict prude. It, it was, <laughs> it caused problems in the culture in with the that culture, type of yeah, thing. Yeah, it right. wasn't just like no. we got college students back there holding hands. <laughs> no, no, it was, like, it was. Larry never said anything to us about it. It was we were getting in trouble on that trip while we were in the country. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Contextualization. Yeah, yeah. So Larry was a great blessing. My wife Natalie has also been one of the most influential people in my life. Married to her, it is it is glorious because she is a a person who fully knows me and yet mm. still fully loves me. There One of the a, few. What, what a picture of the gospel, though, right? Yeah, yeah, it it, it is. She I is, insult John, and you yes. bring it back to the gospel. <laughs> <trying> to be <laughs> spiritual. Well, she she is she is gracious. She is merciful. She is uh, full of forgiveness. Uh, sacrifices well for for our kids. And for our family, I, I, t- I tell her this, and it makes her uncomfortable, but she is one of the best counselors mm-hmm. that I know as I, I come home and I often see her interacting with our kids over, over a, a sin issue, trying to correct them and help them see their actions in light of the gospel and point, pointing them to Jesus. Uh, she is a blessing. I, I could go on and on with, with, with folks. I could talk about yeah. Pastor David Prince, who's my sure. current pastor, and all the ways that he's you helped. You got to get David in there, David Prince, because you work for him still. So, uh, well, I do, I do work for him, but he is he is the the best leader uh, I've been around and, and learning so much from him about Good. pastoral ministry, leadership, preaching. So, those are my folks, Dustin. Well, you can't tell the story of Dustin Coleman personally or physically without talking about my mom and dad. Mm. My mom and dad. Growing up, being involved in the church was a given. There, there was never any question that we were going to be in a church, that we were going to be plugged in, that we were going to be involved, that we we're going to be investing in people's lives, that people were going to be in our homes. My childhood, I remember people in our homes all the time doing Bible studies. There was never 
I say, we were in church every Sunday. There was never, we're going to church and you kids are going to like it. It was just understood. This is what we do. There was never any discussion. There was never any doubt on Saturday night what was going to happen when we got up in the morning. And that faithful day in, day out witness, year after year after year after year of loving the church, caring about the church, had an indelible mark on my life and who I am. I would, some of mine would be the same as John, Bill Hennard. I, I actually came to Porter because I was chasing after a girl. Uh, I did not come for any spiritual reason, but a girl I liked went to Porter. And so I said, oh, it seems like a good church I should check out. But coming in that Sunday morning and hearing the Bible opened, we were just talking about the other night, even particular sermons. 15, 20 years later now, I can remember how I felt sitting there on the front row. Well, it was a Baptist church, so the second row. Not the first row, but the second row. We always sat, John and I, we sat front and center, right in front of the pulpit, as far up as we could sit to listen to him preach and open up the Bible to us. Moving into into books, I, I could name, we could all name 20, 25 people who impacted us in little ways. But a book that I read that had an immeasurable impact was Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. Number one, I was reading that book when I met my wife. In fact, I was on a mission trip in Peru, and I would sit outside her door reading that book, hoping she would come out and I could talk to her. So there's all these pictures from that mission trip of everybody hanging out, group pictures, selfies, and there's Dustin in the background on the bench outside Beth Cox's door waiting for her to come out and talk to him. But Nine Marks of a Healthy Church was so influential to me because who wrote that? Who wrote that? by Mark Dever. Because here was a guy saying, your giftedness is secondary and your faithfulness is primary. Mm. You go in there, you pray, preach the Bible, you love people by leaning into your lives, and you stay there a long time. I'm a guy of moderate giftings, average preacher, average intelligence, average everything. I'm either average or below. But here's this guy telling me, Dustin, if you're faithful, God will be pleased with your ministry. You might not have the biggest whatever, but God will look at your ministry and he will smile because you're being faithful and you're trusting his word. That to me was, I mean, it's, I read that book 10 years ago, so some of the principles seem to be almost germane. But at that moment, that idea that you tell me all I've got to do is be faithful and God will be happy with me. I'll, I'll be doing something significant with my life if I'm just faithful in the same place for a long time. That was not a voice that I was hearing a lot. Yeah. I was hearing a lot, oh, this guy, uh, he led the convention on this, and he's doing this, and he read these books, and, or he wrote these books, and he's doing all these things, pointing to giftedness. And here's a guy pointing to faithfulness. And we want to celebrate giftedness. We're yeah, thankful. yeah. We're not looking we're down thankful. on that at all. We're, we're we thankful. praise God for that. Praise God for those who are tremendously gifted and God has used in my ways. I mean, no think doubt. Of a, yeah. a David Platt, a J.D. Greer, these guys, uber gifted, uber talented. We praise God, we praise for, God for Absolutely. That. Um, but the reality is, like you're saying, we're not all going to be J.D. Greer. 99% Platt, of us are not that we're guy. We're not. Uh, and what we need to do is lean into, we need to be faithful. Be who we are. Mm-hmm. Be who God's called us to be and be faithful. Yeah, whether it's one talent, three talents, mm-hmm. five talents. There's a quote that 
that Deborah says all the time. It's from the minister, John Brown, and I'm going to totally butcher it. And if you've listened to Deborah talk, you've heard him say this so many times. But he's John Brown is writing to a minister. He's at a small congregation. And he says something to the effect of, I know the vanity of your heart, that you're going to be discouraged that your congregation is very small. But he says, when each of us stands before God and gives an account for those entrusted to our care, all of us will have said that we have had enough. <laughs> Which with much influence comes much responsibility. And there's, I mean, I think in all of our hearts, we want to have influence. We want to make an impact. We want our lives to count for something. But who's to say that numbers are the measure of that? Guys that pour in their lives every day for 50 people for 30 years, God is no less impressed with them than the guy who is speaking to thousands. He's looking for faithfulness. Yeah, he He, he gives to each is. a measure of grace, yeah. and you use it according to the measure that you've yeah. been given. I think it's good to be ambitious. There is a, there is a godly ambition. Uh, there is a sense in which to have as much influence— and this is the key for the kingdom of Jesus is a is a godly ambition. Yeah. If I have a platform, if God would give me a platform to speak to thousands, if God would guard my heart and that would be for the glory of King Jesus, then I would say we would all want that that influence. We want to be as influential as we can as God wants us to be. We want to be as influential as we can be for the kingdom of Jesus. The problem is when you're after your own kingdom. So I could go on, but Jonathan, let's go on to you. Who are some people that have deeply influenced you? I was just going to name three books and three authors. You could talk about a lot of people. I could talk about the guys sitting in this room. All of us can can do that. Uh, But if I, if I started with, with books and then the authors themselves become guys that have been influential in my life. And the first one, I'm just going to start with, uh, I cheated. Dustin said three books. I have three points, and the first point has two books, but they're by the same author. So, uh, <laughs> Desiring God and God is the Gospel. John Piper wrote those, and I read them early on in my life, and I was introduced to this idea of Christian hedonism. Piper says, you know, his, his explanation of Christian hedonism is God is most glorified in you and you're most satisfied in Him. Uh, and the way we say it at our church, uh, the simplest way I can express it is that we want God to be at the center of your affections. And so Piper just introduced me to this idea that, hey, Christianity, the gospel, coming to Jesus was not about getting out of hell free. This was about being reconciled to the, what the psalmist calls our exceeding joy. This is about being reconciled to our Creator who satisfies the deepest longings of our heart. So Desiring God introduced me to that, and then the book God is the Gospel is where Piper unpacks this idea that the the highest end of the Gospel, the best news of the good news, is that you get God. If you come to Jesus, you get God. That's better than anything else. So, So Piper really unpacked that for me. And I've just never thought about the Christian life or the gospel uh, apart from those two massive realities. And so when I see quotes on social media, uh, things like this really drive me nuts. God's not worried about your happiness. He's worried about your, what do people say? Holiness. Holiness, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. God wants you to be happily holy. 
He holds. He, he cares about your whole happiness. He cares about your whole happiness, right? <laughs> as long as we're talking about happiness in Him, and that's what we're after—being consecrated to Him, being devoted to Him, finding our joy in Him. So Piper really unpacked that for me, and the more I read him, the more I wanted to listen to him. And so his preaching obviously became huge in my huge in my life. The first time I heard about Piper, apparently he preaches some sermon about setting yourself on fire and people coming and watching you burn. No, well, that's a quote from John Wesley. Yeah, but that's the first time a guy came up yeah. to me and said, man, you got to listen to this sermon. He's talking about light yourself on fire and you got people <laughs> watching. does not do that. Disclaimer, John Piper does not want you to set yourself on fire. But I remember before I ever heard of John Piper, I studied through 1 Corinthians and he gets to the end and he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, hmm. He's accursed. Yeah. Same idea. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah, I think so. I think. Um, he's not in your affections. Yeah. Yeah. So You're I, cut I, off from my, my, my PhD work is aiming at understanding what it means to believe in Jesus. And I, and I want to explore the role of the affections. Uh, because I look at my childhood, I look growing up, and I saw a lot of cultural Christianity. A lot of people believed in Jesus, but I didn't see a whole lot of affection for Jesus. <clears throat> yeah, and so those things have to go together. You you have to believe in Jesus, and you have to love Jesus. If you're a Christian, you believe in Jesus, you're trusting in Jesus, and you're in love with Jesus. So Piper just has pressed those ideas into me over the years. The second one, just I mentioned real briefly, Wayne Grudem, systematic theology, helping me think clearly about the Christian faith, Christian doctrines. Mm. And so my brother bought me his systematic theology, 2009, I was a Christmas present, and I just devoured that thing. It's literally falling apart now. Uh, and there's a lot of debate about appropriate approaches to systematic theology. So that's a bigger academic discussion, right? Philosophical theology, and this type of theology, and so on and so forth. Uh, and Grudem may not be the best system, proper systematician out there, but what he did was just help me to think about every point of Christian theology from the Bible. He's just mm. pressing you into text after text after text. Mm. You can't read a systematic theology and not see verse after verse after verse after verse. And that just that set me on a trajectory to say, we were just having a conversation before we started this podcast about another point of theology. And we were like, show me in the Bible, show me in the Bible. That's just who we are. And you might not we, agree with him, but he's forcing you to reckon with what he's saying yeah, because he's giving you evidence. That's right. So Gruden was massively significant. And then the, the third one would be another John, uh, John MacArthur. And early on, I read his Gospel According to Jesus. Uh, there's two two kind of two books there, Gospel According to Jesus, and then he writes a follow-up, the Gospel According to the Apostles. But the Gospel According to Jesus, the Gospel According to the Apostles, press into this idea of lordship salvation. And it really is the idea that you you can't separate Jesus out and say, I want him to be my, my savior, but I don't necessarily want him running my life, being my Lord. And MacArthur just shows, I think, convincingly that you don't, Jesus doesn't come in that sort of dichotomy. You receive, you know, John 1, 11 and 12, uh, you receive, to believe in Jesus is to receive him. Well, receive him as what? Well, he comes to us as savior and Lord. Uh, and if you love him, John 14, 21, you will obey him. And so MacArthur just put those things together for me. And so those three guys have been massively influential. Uh, those books have been influential. 
and then Piper and MacArthur, uh, after I started reading them, I listened to them preach, and their their preaching was massively shaping. So just real quick, here at the end, we talked about books that shaped us. If you could, books and people, if you could give books to your church members, guys, that you would want to influence and shape them, and I am going to hold you to three. Yeah. No, no one A, one B, <laughs> one C. Although I am going to break my own rule, so only I, I'm the only one that can do that. Okay. But if you could give them, well, mine. Well, anyways, you'll hear in a second. Three books that you could give the church members. What would they be, and just briefly why? Yeah. So the first one I would put in the hands. Well, caveat, real quick. This really depends on the person, right? I, there's not three yeah. books that I just give to anybody. Yeah. You know, it depends on who's standing in front of me, but. Because I can't do that, I'll have to give you three. <laughs> I would start with Desiring God, and I would put it in the hands of a person, if they're going to read it, and say, work through this, because what it's going to do is show you that Christianity is not just this religious thing add-on to life. This is about your everlasting joy in the very one you're created to know. And he may, he, he satisfies the deepest longings of your heart. So go there. I would go to Desiring God. I think the second book that I would put into somebody's hand is a, and I'm going to steal one of Dustin's, uh, so he's going to have to think of another one, is Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Hmm. I love the way that book begins. Do you remember who he quotes at the beginning, the sermon at the beginning? He quotes a 19-year-old preacher named Charles Spurgeon. And Spurgeon, at the beginning of that book, just talks about this there's no higher science, no loftier speculation than contemplating God. Mm. So, again, I think one of our problems in our churches is we have little views of who God is, uh, and we need big God-sized vision. Mm. And so I'd go there. And the third book I would put into a Christian's hand is probably Wayne Grudem, but not his blue book, not his blue systematic theology, but he's got a, another one called uh, Doctrine, uh, and I think it's called Doctrine. Is that right? He's got a couple of them where well, it's, he condenses. It's, it's, the middle. it's not the really small one. It's the middle one uh, where he condenses things. And I would just say— You can get Grudem in small, medium, and large. Yeah, you can. <laughs> so get Grudem, Grudem medium. I think it's Introduction to Doctrines. That book is just going to press you into the great truths of the Christian faith, and it's going to do so in a way that forces you to read them. John? So I think we all will share a book in common because the first book I would give someone is Knowing God as well yeah. by, by J.I. Packer. I mean, the greatest commandment is to, to love God, and then the second is to, to, to love neighbor. Mm -hmm. And uh, Knowing God is one of those books that helps us rightly understand who God is on the basis of who he has revealed himself to be in Christ throughout the scriptures. And you know one of the one of the things that, that I love the most about that book. There's a chapter in there on uh, sons of God. Mm -hmm. and I don't think there's a better chapter in any book it, outside it, of the Bible. It, it is it is excellent because he, it's he, chapter 19. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've read in, it many times. <laughs> in, in the in the chapter, he talks about justification, yeah. our being made right, right with the Lord through the blood of Jesus Christ is is primary. But then he talks about adoption in terms of being higher 
if you yeah. will, because because justification yeah, takes ultimate, you from the yeah. courtroom <clears throat> the into the, the family good. room yeah. of God. It's the highest end of the good news or, or something uh, along those lines that you're you're a child of the Creator. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mean this is this is uh, as we say this, and we're all three going to mention this book. Eternal life is what? Eternal life is to know God uh, as Father. To know God as Father, right? So that yeah. that's that's eternal life. This is why we exist. So yeah, yeah. So so real quick, two two other books. I would give folks Habits of Grace by David Mathis. It is a spiritual disciplines book that helps you cultivate habits of grace in your life by which you can know God and love God more. One of the things that I love about his book, though, is that he talks about these habits of grace in terms of the context of the local church, which is vital. You can't live out the New Testament apart from the local church because most of it is written in the plural. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. we and, and it's us. And so he talks about the value of things like mission and, and serving together. And, you know, one thing I, I will say is that at, at Ashton Avenue Baptist Church, where I get the privilege of serving, one of the things that we notice is that the people who are often struggling with things the most are those who are not in a small group where gospel fellowship and accountability best take place uh, at Ashland, or they're not serving. And I think this discipline book kind of helps connect all those dots together in, in the context of the local church. A, th- a third book I would give is a really old book, but it's just had a very profound impact on my life. It was written by a Puritan several hundred years ago by the name of Jeremiah Burroughs. Mm. Uh, and the book is called The Rare Jewel, Jewel of, Christian. of Christian Contentment. Yeah. I love this book because I think oftentimes we get the, the idea that Christianity should somehow be easy. And when, when, when life is not easy, when trials of various kinds that are meant to form us into who we need to be uh, for the new heavens and the new earth, when, when they come and, and they're, they're difficult, we tend to be like the wilderness generation. Uh, who grumbles and complains against God, and he addresses that that, that issue from a very gospel-centered standpoint. And at the same time, he, he also helps us remember that Christianity didn't just start with us. I think our cultural culture also tends to to, to forget that there are thousands of years of, of right. Christian history behind us, and these are issues that people have dealt with for, for many years, nothing new under the yeah, sun. Right. So, Study church history. Right? Yeah. I'll go with three quickly. Since you guys both took Knowing God, I'll change it up, and I'll say Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer, because it forces you to think hard thoughts about God. You pick up that book, and it's a bit to say that because it's very thin, but you will swim in depths in that book. Hmm. Second book that I would have people read is The Supremacy of God in Preaching by John Piper, because— When you say people— is that a book you're going to aim at preachers or anybody? I'm aiming that at everybody because it teaches them what to listen for in good preaching. I think part of the reason why Christianity is so anemic in, I mean, just our, my context, I can't speak about anywhere else outside of my context, is because preaching is anemic. What do you mean, what do you mean by that, anemic? I mean, it's starving and unhealthy because they're being fed marshmallows. Like we talked about earlier, here's a text on fellowship. Here's seven steps to good fellowship in your home. And, and your. I think we need to amaze people with God. People who are hungry and thirsty for God are holy. And they love people. And they love the nations. So I want to teach people, when you're looking for a church, go to a church that's preaching like this. 
I think that's I think that's vital. And then the third one is my three A three B, but they go together, uh, and it's John Owen's Mortification of Sin and Indwelling Sin in Believers. I think you could take those two books together, and it would take you about a year and a half to read them. Get the abridged <laughs> versions of those books. And the reason why is I'm thinking about John Calvin. What does he say? You want to know God and you want to know yourself. And as you know those two things, you're going to deepen in both of them. And John Owen is helping you see your own heart in those two books. Indwelling sin, helping you see it. Mortification of sin, what do you do about it? So I think if you are leaning into a deeper, mind-stretching view of God, and you are knowing yourself better and better, you're going to grow in holiness. So I would, I would give church members those, yeah. those three books. Yeah. Real quickly for you two, this is a curveball. One book, because we, we mentioned some massive books here. So if you're not a reader, if you're not a reader. All mine were small, bro. No. Uh, mortification of sin may be small, but it's not small. Um, right? Yeah. So you're giving somebody that's not a reader, they want to read, they want to read something something solid, something good, but it's man, they can do this. Knowing God is 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 tough. It's a it's a longer book for people who don't read a lot. What would you give that person? One book, just one that comes to maybe comes to mind. What is the Gospel by Greg Gilbert? Okay, easy, clear to understand. Everybody I take it through says, "My goodness." Yeah, good. I would say, "What is the Gospel?" As well, that, that, yeah. that book's one of the first ones that comes to mind. Yeah, that's good. I, I was thinking, "What is the the little nine marks books?" What is the Gospel? I think the the, the one who is Jesus. Um, I, I trust a, the Bible. I trust the Bible is a good one. So those are a good series. Good. Well, I hope this conversation has been helpful. Tune in next time for our next episode of Talking Theology. Bye-bye.